0: Rethink Retail, the evolution of retail in today's connected world. Welcome to the Rethink Retail Show, your source for the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. Join host Julia Raymond, Global Director of Research at Valtech, a global digital agency focused on strategy and transformation in retail, as she explores the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. This episode of Rethink Retail sponsored by Valtech, where experiences are engineered. Hi, today we're kicking off another episode of Rethink Retail with my guest, Maya Knights. She is head of industry insight for Eagle Eye Solutions and has 20 years' experience as a journalist, analyst, and research director specializing in retail enterprise technology. Just this year, she co authored and published two best selling books. The first, titled Amazon How the World's Most Relentless Retailer Will Continue to Revolutionize Commerce. And more recently, the book Omnichannel Retail, How to Build Winning Stores in a Digital World. Today, we'll explore both books, focusing on omnichannel, as well as the environment driving what Maya has called retail Darwinism, evolve or die. Maya, will you tell us more about yourself and how the ideas for the books came about?
1: Absolutely. Um, Hello and thanks for the opportunity. In terms of how the book came about, I co-authored the book with a fellow former research director um, who'd already written a book about um, Walmart a few years previously, um, when Walmart became the biggest retailer in the world. And as Amazon has been growing exponentially fast towards becoming one of the biggest retailers in the world, she suggested that uh, the time was right to, to give Amazon the, the same Walmart type of treatment in terms of what was their secret sauce, what was it about their business model, what was it about their innovation and development that, that made them world leaders, um, and to take that treatment to the Amazon model but um, to her credit my co-author Natalie knew that while she understood how Amazon ran its business as a retailer she didn't really fully understand because it wasn't part of her her core remit what role the technology had had to play and obviously Amazon is famously well known for its technology disruption. So um, to her credit, she came and asked if I would be able to help fill in the gaps around web services, cloud computing, drones, one-click patents and the rest. Um, And so we wrote the book in about six, six months, but we actually we found out we'd got the commission a couple of days after um, the acquisition of Whole Foods, Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods was announced. So we kind of knew we were on to something big when that happened, because I think what we've seen since then is, you know, that acquisition really shake up the biggest retail sector of them all. And that's the packaged food sector, the grocery sector, and really prove that we were on to, we were tapping a rich vein in terms of what is it that may, has made Amazon so successful? that other retailers can learn from and use as well
0: great well it's really good background and I think the the book is really timely and just published this year so some really relevant and recent insights Um, I actually downloaded it on my kindle and I'm reading it I encourage all of our listeners to do the same Um, some really good stuff and you explore the e-commerce giants you know disruptive new retail strategies and the impact on the wider e-commerce sector and grocery comes up a bit. So that's one thing I kind of wanted to start with because we actually had an expert panel discussion podcast a few weeks back and we talked a bit about grocery. And one thing that was said is, you know, they're not as great as selling baskets on Amazon. So, you know, if you want to buy, I think it was Brian Gildenberg of Kantar Consulting. He said, if you want to buy 20 things on Amazon, it takes exactly 20 times as long as buying one thing. So there's a little bit of, you know, a disadvantage in that regard. Um, but then you also make a great point in your book and you, you said, you know, Amazon is holding all the cards because they're generating revenue from their advertising, but they're simultaneously optimizing the placement of their private label products um, and maximizing conversion, you know, giving that badge, denoting that their item is a bestseller. And so I think they have a lot of interesting plays on digital, but when it comes to the physical stores, like what is your take overall when it comes to Amazon and grocery?
1: So taking a step back, um, Natalie and I very strongly concluded um, in, in concert that having written the book, that actually Amazon is a tech company first and a retailer second. And that's relevant to answering your question because I think when it comes to really honing those merchant curation skills that traditional brick and mortar retailers kind of take for granted, Amazon is found a little bit lacking. So you said that your panel discussion um, on around grocery kind of started to touch on some of the disadvantages that Amazon has. I think um, generally speaking, because Amazon grew up on the internet, it wanted to crack the business of selling on the internet, and now that it wants to move into physical stores, um, it's actually found itself in a space where it's lacking um, the, the the traditional skills that retailers take for granted. I think if you look at the um, brick and mortar um, experimentation, maybe barring Amazon Go, you'll find a lot of reports of you know Amazon's in-store experience actually being quite soulless and um not really able to surprise and delight the way that traditional brick and mortar retailers might think that they could Um, i think and the final point to that would be that generally speaking they've that that is a reflection of the the experience that you actually have on their site as well which is um, very, very functional and not terribly fun. Um, And that's great when you're online and you're in the comfort of your own home and you've got an unlimited, potentially unlimited amount of time to filter and to open many tabs and pages and so on and so forth. But when you literally have a limited amount of time in a physical space, Um, it really does test those merchant curation skills. And I think we're seeing a replication of that really functional experience that Amazon's um, honed so well online being replicated in the store. I'm just not sure that the store experience and environment is the best place for that purely functional um, experience from a customer standpoint.
0: That makes sense. So you're basically saying that they're excellent at the functional side of things, the transactional side, but the surprising and delighting customers in a physical space, like the best retailers have been able to do, is something that they're really struggling with. I wanted to move just to another, it was on page 73 of your book, um, because this brings... Another factor at play here, which is obviously shipping, which Amazon's created kind of the golden standard for, and some would say even changed the mindset of a lot of consumers. Um, And you say that today near instant gratification is a firmly embedded customer expectation as other retailers have had no choice but to invest in next day and increasingly same day delivery capabilities. And you say the problem, it's not sustainable. Um, And then you talk about some of the first cracks that we're already seeing being exposed by Amazon, which you say they're very open about. But can you describe a bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, immediacy of one hour and same day delivery is kind of... Um, opened Pandora's box and it can't be closed again. In that sense, consumers' expectations have been extremely heightened. In that sense, and and, and that's why online is so is seen as a, a direct challenge. I think to the stores' um, proxy for relevance because of its proximity and the immediacy that you get when you walk out out of a store having bought something rather than waiting for it to be delivered. By narrowing that um, last mile delivery window and, and and really making it much much faster amazon set the expectation but then now has to continue to meet that demand continue to exceed that expectation even though the costs of fulfilling that those expectations go up exponentially i think that's why we've seen amazon really invest just vast amounts of its um, its its cash into a vertically integrated uh carrier fulfillment and supply chain system. Um, You've seen them invest in uh, their own cargo planes. You've seen them get a huge amount of federal funding for airport hubs as well. And I think you've seen general merch from grocers to general merchandisers, really um, take the fight to Amazon on this one and really ramp up their rapid delivery capabilities, either through um, third-party partnerships Um, You've seen um, the likes of Instacart and Shipt really grow their business off the back of maybe what we should call the Amazon effect when it comes to the last mile. And you've seen some innovative um, um, developments as well, say in the UK, uh, Morrison's rolling out its own uh, rapid delivery capability with Amazon um, and, and expanding that only very recently. So there's been many different ways that retailers have tried to to tackle the last mile issue.
0: Yeah, and I love all the all the examples you brought up of what other retailers are, are doing to deliver on <laughs> the same standard that Amazon has shown when it comes to the last mile. Do you see any sort of crazy innovations in the future that will help with the... The issue of margins that you talked about you know i've heard i've heard someone say that eventually we'll have even some infrastructure for automated vehicles to deliver groceries to certain hubs um, and just crazy ideas
1: yeah I mean ugh, gosh sometimes I think amazon puts out patents just to get column inches so you made me think of the airships that could yeah. <laughs> get drones I think that was last year wasn't it mm-hmm. I still get asked you know are we going to see drones swarming our, our main streets anytime soon and that might not be the case but we're definitely definitely going to see more autonomous delivery vehicles in and around our, our urban areas initially just to be able to Eliminate human error, reduce margins by not having to pay for human labor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then also in more remote areas, we're going to see larger drones used to um, deliver very time sensitive or high value products as well so things like medication for example so we've seen deliver to your car obviously amazon made that huge acquisition with ring technology smart doorbells mm-hmm. um, so that you can have uh, products delivered into your home similarly uh, walmart recently talked about delivering your groceries to your fridge and that was met with varying <laughs> degrees of um, <laughs> acceptance and, and, and ridicule um, in, um, in China, there's a really interesting example um, being piloted by the European grocery group Ocean, who also has quite a large banner presence in China. And they've been using an automated delivery system built into a mobile store that's called Bingo Box. You scan and go with your mobile phone, It's also equipped with drones in the roof that will dispatch small items. It also has solar panels um, and it uses a lot of the elements, a lot of the technology elements that we cover in the Amazon book, but actually bringing it to the consumer in a local mobile autonomous format. So I think that's the ultimate kind of apotheosis of all the development that you, you asked me to discuss.
0: From a little research online, I discovered that Bingo Box is the lesser known rival technology of Amazon Go, which only has 11 locations to date. Bingo Box, they have over 500 cashierless convenience stores. And according to the Retail Insight Network has expanded from its domestic Chinese market into Taiwan, South Korea, and Malaysia with planned store rollouts in Japan and Australia. So I wanted to look into how it works. Here's an example. Say it's Monday morning and you're walking to the office. Suddenly you feel your stomach rumble and you remember that you haven't had breakfast. You see the bingo box at the corner of the street, a modest 160 square feet, just over a 10th of the size of your typical 7-Eleven or convenience store, and you head there straight away. Before you get to the entrance, you've already opened your bingo box phone app. Once at the door, you use your phone camera within the app to scan the small screen on bingo box showing its QR code. Once scanned, the door opens up and you grab a water bottle and a granola bar. To check out, you place your two items inside of the scanner, which sort of resembles an illuminated box, maybe one foot high and wide and one foot deep. Then you submit payment via the app to leave the store, you stand in front of a camera that uses facial recognition to verify your purchase before unlocking the exit. Now with Amazon Go, you would not need to manually scan or manually pay for your items, but this technology is still efficient and has scaled quickly. So I wanted to provide some context. And with that, let's resume the episode. I love the bingo box example. I have seen one video, I think, that was demoing it. Do you know what kind of, are these just food items? I would think they'd have to be higher margin items for the bingo box to be profitable in any way.
1: In that sense, you're right. It, 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 it's a bit like Amazon Go. I, have to, I keep pointing out to people that Amazon probably can't make the return on investment work for all that computer vision technology that runs amazon go in a format that's any bigger than it is Mm -hmm. with products that have less margin than prepared salads and things like that Um, and similarly for bingo box there'll be higher priced higher margin convenience goods that are predicated on you needing it now so i need a toothbrush now i need something absolutely now Um, and that's really the only way the high cost of the technology um, deployment stacks up in that right
0: thing. and so i imagine that there's just high premiums you pay for that kind of convenience and on-demand delivery um, yeah. through the automated system yeah that makes sense i love how you mentioned scan and go because that actually that moves us to sort of the next question i wanted to ask um, regarding app strategy because you actually co-authored an, another book omni channel it's called omni channel retail How to build winning stores in a digital world. And you highlight the importance of bringing the power of digital and the omni channel experience to everyday shopping. And I've just seen a lot of stuff going on in the app world with retailers. And I wanted to ask you do you think a single app strategy makes sense? And um, just the context that's one main consumer facing app that allows them to engage with the retailers product or a brand or is it better to have multiple apps that are highly specific to a product or an offering?
1: So I I think this is a great question. Um, I think what we've seen is a lot of experimentation which has led to a lot of a proliferation of apps. Let's take for example um, Sam's Club or Ikea. Ikea is a great example so you can they've got their standalone design and planning app that uses augmented reality then they've got their shopping app and I think the way that the technology is developed at different speeds let's say e-commerce versus ar design has necessitated that retailers split out the functionality that they're offering us via mobile in this way but if you find that if one as a retailer i should say finds success in some of these features and functionalities down the road i think what we're now seeing as a result of all that experimentation and the maturation of the technologies themselves is them now being consolidated into single apps because us as con- we as consumers we don't really want to have to download three or four apps in order to deal with one brand just as we say with omnichannel being you know one one channel seamless there is there are no multiple channels we as customers are channel blind in the same way we're not really going to understand why we need to have five or six separate apps. just put them all in one I also think just in terms of that consolidation and the maturation of the technology the devices themselves have also hugely matured so the ability to be able to have a loyalty app that can be transactional that can have geolocation in it but that allows me to push that loyalty card into my passcode, um, my passbook for Apple, for example, my wallet, and then be able to scan that at the till, for example. All of those capabilities perhaps weren't necessarily available in the leading mobile devices until very, very recently. And so that's been another reason why we've seen a bifurcation of these features and functionality between the different apps. But as I said, uh, we as customers are brand blind and channel blind if you've got one brand then talk to me with one brand talk to me with one app and 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 that's why we're seeing the consolidation we're seeing because it's what customers want
0: yeah and it makes sense that you mentioned uh the technology sometimes it it makes it almost impossible to go about experimenting unless you have all the different apps like with the ar capabilities that ikea has rolled out so yeah i think that's a really good point to think about And just speaking of omni-channel, um, I just wanted to throw this question out there to see if there's an interesting opposing viewpoint or not because um, we recently had Steve Dennis on, on our podcast, episode 11, and he asserts that omni-channel is dead. He says, a great customer experience has never been about being everyone and being all things for all people. What matters is showing up for the right customers, What really matters in remarkable ways, which he's coining, harmonized retail. So, for you, Maya, is this just semantics, or is there really a difference in thinking?
1: I think it's a bit of both, to be fair. And actually, (laughs) full disclosure: when the uh, publisher suggested omnichannel retail as as the lead as the title, um, I I I objected quite strongly, actually, because I thought. It is a little bit of a zombie term. I mean, I was lucky enough to work with the senior research analyst, who I think is now VP at IDC, Leslie Hand, who first used the term omnichannel in a report. And believe it or not, that was 16 years ago. Oh wow! (laughs) So I thought people are going to love or hate. What we describe as, I suppose, a marmite word. Um, You know, you love it or you hate it. But two the publisher's credit they said that that was exactly the reason why they wanted it because it would spark debate and it would allow us to have the discussion that we're having now so answering your question directly after giving you that background the semantics yes it is a semantic thing but I think there has to be something We have to take something from the fact that this word has hung around this descriptor has been here around for almost two decades i think it's a testimony to the speed or lack of speed with which retailers have really embraced the spirit of of what omnichannel is i think i would also say midway between semantics and there being a need for a term that people can buy into is is the fact that to say to be everywhere for everybody all the time is actually an incorrect definition of omni-channel. So omni being the Latin root all, all one, which is interchangeable, literally builds on the fact that, as I said earlier, customers don't see channels. It's just one brand. It's mm-hmm. just one retailer, whether or not I transact with you online or shop with you in store, you're still that one retailer. I don't think omni-channel. So, full disclosure here, Leslie, please get in contact if I get this wrong. But I really don't think the intention was ever with omni-channel to suggest that retailers should be everywhere. It's that retailers should be consistent and seamless and integrated wherever they are, and in terms of needing a term like channel, retailers are past masters at following the customer. If the customer is going online, I will set up an online channel. So it's being where the customer wants you to be in an integrated, coherent and seamless way with a total proposition that does not differentiate between the services and products you offer online versus the services and products you offer in store. Final point though, moving from semantics to the fact that we do need a term that people are going to buy into. There are so many new terms coming out. I hear, you know, the total retail, new retail. (laughs) Well, you don't want to be, as a retailer right now, is mediocre. You don't want to be disjointed. Um, I don't know that the industry is ever going to coalesce around a term that works for everybody. I think Omnichannel has worked for so long. It's actually got a little bit of context to it in that it has been around for so long. But at the same time, I agree that maybe it's time we do move on from that. But I don't think we can until retailers really get what it meant in the first place, which is to to be consistent wherever the customer touch point is that you want to engage with that customer through.
0: So while we um, discuss the word omnichannel and kind of the thoughts around it, I want to touch back on some of the topics from your book, which was published April of this year. Um, And you talk about how retail needs a mobile makeover. And I wondered if you could elaborate a little bit um, more on what you mean by that.
1: Absolutely. Um, So it built really well on that that theme that uh, around omnichannel and what that what that means, regardless of whether or not you love it or hate it as a word. You know, to be consistent at every customer touchpoint doesn't mean you have to have every customer touchpoint and be everywhere to everybody. Um, But what's relevant for your customers if they want to engage with you through a particular channel? then it makes sense to follow the customer and make sure that, you're, that they're there. And um, what we've seen over the last 15 years, as I think we referred to when we talked a little bit about Amazon, was just the way internet-based technologies and mobile technologies has increased the level of access, speed, convenience, choice, relevance, transparency, I could go on, that we as consumers have become accustomed to um the problem occurs when we go into the store the physical um traditional store it really doesn't match up to the same levels of speed and choice and convenience and relevancy that we can create for ourselves through our online shopping journeys the point that my co-author um Omnichannel retail co-author Tim Mason makes very, very strongly is that I can use Google to navigate me to my nearest store selling a particular product I'm looking for. I would add to that that Google through to the end of 2017 actually tracked a 500% increase in near-me searches That is Google searches that say, have you got, I need to find XX near me, that contained a variant of to buy or to purchase, which shows that people are using their mobile phones as an extension of the the shopping processes that they've become accustomed to digitally in their own homes um, to augment their um, physical shopping journeys too, to act as an aid in regards to the immediacy of finding a store finding a product and walking out with it but the point that tim makes and i I totally agree with him so strongly is that i can have google navigate me to the front door of that store but i put my phone away when i go inside now that might be music to some people's ears but to other people i hate having to rely on printed analog signage i hate having to wait until i see a human being before i can ask where is this product or i am lost or can you tell me a bit more about this or paper shelf edge labels that are out of date or um, paper uh, price tags that have fallen off the product i think the point that we try and make really strongly in omnichannel retail is that there is a huge place for digital in today's physical stores And that retailers really need to add a digital layer to their stores via the handsets that we are never without, that we maintain, that we keep up to date, that we charge, that we secure um, in order to add that extra layer of speed and convenience and transparency and um, personalization as well to the physical store experience as we would expect with the digital experience. We're seeing Bits and pieces of this happen in piecemeal, but I don't know that any retailers truly embrace digital via mobile in their stores to offer us as consumers a comparable in-store experience as to the ones that we have online.
0: What are some challenges that retailers face that are preventing mobile from being further along is it regional differences with store layouts uh in product inventory that's really challenging on the back end or what are some things going on
1: well i think you can't lift and shift um a successful digital and e-commerce strategy onto a store network for for some of the very reasons that you've already Outlined, um, you know, a browser is the same or a mobile device, barring some manufacturer differences, tend to be the same standard technologies wherever you go in the world. So, creating an online presence and porting that, localizing it, is much, much easier than it is to retrofit uh, Wi Fi access points into a department store that. It was built in the 1920s and is about as wi-fi friendly as an oven <laughs> um so there is there is a, you know you've got different formats different sizes the suitability of the construction of the building to mod, you know to, to actually accommodating modern technologies there's all that to take into account but what we really try and impress in, in upon retailers in, in in omnichannel retail is that they can't afford not to try and tackle this problem and actually i i've come to conclude that retailers have kind of got a bit distracted by all this shiny double-digit growth happening online and again as i've already said they've been absolutely right to follow the consumer there but they've kind of let their both their customer facing physical store estate and the back office supply chain and distribution networks that serve them fall by the wayside as a result. And this is why I think it's fair to say um, a store can be fairly described as a digital black hole. And it's also why we are seeing such margin pressure brought to bear with the shortening of the last mile, the speeding up of the last mile as well. It's because the store assets and supply chain networks have kind of been slightly neglected all of these years. And I do start to see now that the dial is turning. I always point to um, some brilliant research brought out by the Harvard Business Review um, a couple of years ago. Brilliant because it surveyed 46,000 US consumers, the largest pool of consumer research I've seen dedicated to omni-channel retail. And what did it find? It basically found that... um, Those consumers who shop with a retailer across more than one channel are worth up to 10% more per shopping visit online and 4% more per shopping visit in store than those customers who use one single channel. I think retailers can see that now. From their own data but the fact is just going back to my um, anecdote about google and near me search and the you know all of that capability stopping at the front door of the store if they accept that their best customers are ones that shop with them across all channels or multiple channels more than one they can't actually identify who those best customers are when they're in their physical stores So they can roll out the red carpet for you when you're online. Welcome back. We saw you bought this. Why not buy this? Here's an offer, blah, blah, blah. But when I walk into their store, unless they give me a reason to get my mobile out and identify myself, like you would at the end of a shopping journey with a traditional loyalty card, for example, um, they don't even know that you've been there. So how can they cross an upsell to me in a personalized one-to-one way that is similar to the way that they would want to try and sell to me online? And that's, that's the opportunity. And, and at, at the moment, unfortunately, retailers' digital capability severely lags that opportunity in the physical store.
0: Right. So you're saying there's a huge opportunity that retailers are missing by not being able to identify these you know, high revenue customers, maybe some of their best customers that are shopping across multiple, if not all channels that they offer. And that personalization maybe is missing in-store.
1: Absolutely. I can, uh, you know, we've also done some, some research, um, myself and Tim with the company we, we work for at Eagle Eye, um, into what customers actually want. And when we asked customers, what, would, what, what are your um, greatest influences of your choice of retailer? Number one, far and away amongst 90% of the 4,000 consumers that we surveyed across the UK, US, Australia and um, Canada was price. No surprises there. Price is still the lowest common denominator. but the, And I've done this survey in different vari, uh, you know, variations um, over the years a number of times. And this time, I was really surprised to see that top, the, 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 the two other most important influencers that rounded out that top three were that offers me promotions or a loyalty scheme or rewards. That was number two. And number three, that recognizes me for my custom. So I actually kind of see number two and number three as two sides of the same coin. Because if I recognize you for my custom, I'm probably offering you incentives and and giving you rewards as a result. But the fact is, the way that a lot of retail stores are run at the moment... I could be your best customer, but I will get exactly the same service as a completely anonymous customer that never uh, um, identifies themselves to you, that hasn't registered online, that just pays in cash. Uh, And even if I am your best customer, you're only identifying me as I swipe my loyalty card as I walk out the store. And so you're missing a trick there to be able to... Uh, give customers more of what they want which is if you can't beat your competitors on price you can give them an offer or a reward or a promotion that shows that you recognize them for their continued custom and thanks them for that
0: yeah and that's a really good point just why would someone be incentivized to give their information if if there's no upside um and you say in your book that 90 percent of transactions are still complete in the physical store, so there's a huge gap here and yeah. um and you also say like view digital as an opportunity instead of a threat. And would you describe a little bit more of that, how dig- digitization can foster, you know, these more meaningful connections?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes it goes back to um uh the discussions that A lot of people in the industry are having around around Amazon. I think they see digital um, and Amazon as a representation of that as a threat. But when you look at where Amazon is, it's at an inflection point in its 25-year history where it now actually needs offline. It now realizes that it's only capturing 10% of those total retail sales in any of the markets and territories it operates in. That if it's to capture the other 90% or part of that other 90%, it also need stores as well so retailers really need to start to I think they do they are all starting to understand how much of an advantage their stores are but in the balance of things in terms of the channel mix we've seen retailers not only neglect the digitalization of their stores, but also neglect the right sizing of their store channel. So one of the things I often say is uh, that you can broadly characterize a lot of main street retailers at the moment, particularly ones that are struggling as overstored and underperforming. They might be pulling in double digit growth from their e-commerce channels, but they really need to be able to see how those two, how the online and the offline channels mix, how their retail customers are, are using the channels together and make sure as a result that... Um, that they've got the optimal mix and location of stores to their best customers online as well I don't see a lot of retailers thinking in that way but there is an opportunity there for stores to really take what we've learned from online augment it make it even better and layer it with that sensory selection the immediacy the capability to try before you buy and also let's not forget you know the absolutely invaluable asset of a store's people being ex-subject matter experts even if they're not subject matter experts the, the possibility exists for the retailer to give them a mobile device that allows them to access the same information that we have access to but communicate it to us in a one-to-one way. I don't think we're ever going to get away from the importance of human interaction in that sense. And that's another reason why the story is so important and is worth investing in from a digital standpoint.
0: Yeah, and I love that you brought up just the human element because that sometimes uh, starts to fade away when you're getting into the depths of the digital discussion. And actually, I saw a Salesforce report um, not too long ago that said over half of millennials do not think store associates have the right tools to provide them with good customer service. Um, And I think that kind of attests to what you're saying, which is that, you know, there needs to be a focus on humans as well, equipping people in store um, to provide that next level of connection.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was... 10, 12 years ago now, I had IT directors saying to me that their customers were literally coming into their stores armed with more information to out-negotiate the salesperson than the salesperson had themselves. And if that was 10 to 12 years ago, you know, in the intervening period of time, uh, the the breakneck speed of technology development the development of clienteling software for example there are a myriad number of solutions to that challenge and issue i just think retailers ha- really have to show the means and the will to be able to want to tackle them
0: definitely thank you for being a guest on the show and also where can our listeners go if they wanted to purchase one of your recent books
1: oh thank you yeah it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you um and and for follow-up um of course both books are available on amazon okay. but they are both published by kogan page so you can find both books for sale direct from the publisher at www.koganpage or one and it's kogan with a k
0: perfect thank you maya thanks for being on the show today
1: thank you thanks so much for having me
0: all right bye You've been listening to Rethink Retail. For all the latest news on commerce and trends, join the discussion, rethink.industries.com.